Father, I, I, I praise you for Jesus. You have done immeasurably more than we could ever imagine through Jesus. And I would ask you, Lord, would you prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ? Our only hope is Christ. And what a hope Christ is. That he's making all things new, including us. That his work is powerful and unstoppable among his people. Well, we praise you for Jesus. And we ask that everything that's said and done, Lord, in our time of gathering would be for your glory and the good of your people. God, I pray for those people who are going through a a test of their faith today. I know there are a lot of individuals in this room right now who are in a trial, they're in a test, and they are reaching what feels to them just a breaking point, unimaginable difficulties in their life. I pray, God, that you would build us up to believe that you are faithful and you are able to do a exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask, think, or imagine. And Lord, we know your work is not just contained to the people in this room, the people who are part of this church family. And so Lord, we thank you for the ministries of this church that affect those beyond these walls. I thank you for Merritt Island Christian School. I thank you for Dr. Detra. Thank you for how my children have been so blessed, how my family has been blessed by the the living and teaching and giving of those individuals who make that school a possibility. And I pray blessing over our school family. Lord, I would ask you, um, send those students who are yet to be a part of that school that, Lord, you desire to reach with the gospel through Merritt Island Christian. Lord, may the enrollment be, uh, Father, an expression of your grace, not only to us, but your grace through us to reach those that we will encounter through that great ministry. Lord, I pray not only for our church and our, our church family and our ministries, Lord, I pray for those churches in this community that are gathered, Lord, that you love every bit as much as you love us. Lord, I pray for Harbor City Baptist Church and Pastor Jeff, that they would know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, encourage them, bless them, Be powerful among them as they gather. Lord, be powerful through them as they go. Lord, we love you and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're gonna continue our study here on Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Real faith and a real God in the middle of real life. That's what this series is about. And as we go through Hebrews chapter 11, we're just going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 17. And I just want to let you know that uh, our, our gathering around the Lord's Supper, we desire to be the focal point of our worship this morning. We want the Lord's table to be the centerpiece of our time together. And so my prayer is that the thoughts that we establish around this passage would really begin preparing us to encounter the time of communion with deep, deep significance, that this would not be religious routine for us. And so I'm trusting God to speak to us in his word and prepare our hearts to praise his work uh, in and through us. And this is, I believe, a powerful passage of scripture to prepare our hearts for just that that thing. So look at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm gonna begin reading in verse 17, and I'm gonna read through verse 19 this morning. By faith, Abraham... When he was tested, 
offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is the word of God for us this morning. Now, this passage of scripture is talking about Abraham and Isaac. And I know many of you are familiar with that story, but just in case you aren't, let me give you a really quick refresher into this. You remember that Abraham had a wife named Sarah and God made a promise to this couple that they would have a child and through that child, God would create a nation a mighty nation that would bless all the other nations on the face of the earth. Their family would grow to be as many as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. So God makes this amazing promise to this man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. But there's only one problem, okay? Um, It's a bit of an issue. Sarah is barren. She's physically unable to have children. Uh, Two weeks ago, we saw that the Bible described Abraham as as good as dead, which is a great thing to be described as. Uh, But he's as good as dead. His wife is barren, and they're nearly 100 years old when they get this promise that come this time next year, you're gonna have a child. So here they are receiving an incredible promise of blessing. You'll be a mighty nation and all the nations of earth will be blessed through you. But this, this promise comes with the reminder that they're broken and barren, right? That it's impossible and they're facing an impossible challenge. But then we know God miraculously works. He gives them a child. Nearly 100 years old, both Abraham and Sarah welcome a brand new baby into this world and they name him Isaac. And this miraculous birth of Isaac is a reminder that God is so faithful to keep his promises. Well, you guys know the story. Uh, A few years pass and Isaac is growing into a man. As a matter of fact, there are many scholars who believe that at the time of the story that the text we just read is referring to, uh, Isaac actually was around 18 to 30 years old. Many of us have formed in our mind the image of a very small child, and, and most scholars believe due to the language that's used to describe Isaac in Genesis chapter 21, 22, that he's probably a, a full-grown man, somewhere between 18 and 30-some years old. So here's this grown man who's, who's now the promised father, in a sense, of a, a nation yet to be born. And this word comes from God in Genesis 22. And hear the word of God. I'll just read it to you from Genesis 22. After these things, after Isaac had been born, this child of promise, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Can you imagine having waited a hundred years to welcome your baby into this world? The ups and downs that barrenness always brings the feelings of smallness and weakness in Sarah, the feelings of inadequacy in Abraham, to receive this promise that this child would be born and to have to live year in, year out, wondering when will this child actually come? Every year's a reminder. It's only more and more impossible. And then one day, you finally welcome the child into your home. You finally have the thing God has promised you, only to turn around and God say, here's what I want you to do. <laughs> 
offer this child as a sacrifice to me. You guys know the story. What's Abraham do? He gets up and he takes Isaac and they set off to this mountain named Moriah. Now Moriah is in a a part of the world where it's believed Jerusalem um, was actually built on Mount Moriah or included in Mount Moriah. As a matter of fact, most scholars believe that Mount Moriah is the exact place where the temple was actually built by Solomon and where the sacrifices of God were actually made. So Abraham and Isaac walk to Mount Moriah. They walk up alone, father and son. Abraham too old to carry anything, so he makes his son do it. My dad did it to me, your dad did it to you, and I do it to my son. So Isaac is carrying all the stuff. He's got the firewood, all the gear that is supposed to be used to make a sacrifice, and Isaac notices there's something that's missing. It's kind of important when you're offering a sacrifice, and so he looks at his dad, he says, Dad, we have all the stuff we need except one thing. Where's the actual sacrifice? And Abraham responds, right? Son, don't worry about it. God himself will provide. God himself will provide. They get to the top of the mountain. They build an altar. They lay the wood on it. Abraham explains to Isaac what's going on. The Bible actually says that Abraham ties together the hands of Isaac before he lays down on the altar, Now, in all likelihood, Abraham, being a very old man at this time, would have been unable to do anything physically to Isaac that Isaac didn't let his dad do to him. And so you just imagine there's Isaac putting his hands out, letting his dad tie him together, laying himself down on an altar. And just as Abraham raises the knife to kill his son, God calls out, stop Don't do it. And when Abraham looks up, right there in front of him, there's a ram caught in a thicket. Indeed, God did provide for himself a sacrifice. And here's what happens when we hear this story. Whether we see it on flannel graph or portrayed on television or just in our own imaginations, there are a thousand different questions that we have to ask about this passage of scripture. And many of those questions don't have clear answers. But there's one thing that's absolutely clear about this story and the scripture, and it's this. With all the other things that God may have intended, the Bible is clear, this was a test. This was a test of Abraham's faith. And the first thing we see, and the one thing I want us to know is this. God will allow your faith to be tested, and that's a good thing. God will allow your faith to be tested, and that is a good thing. Now, for some of us, when you hear God tell Abraham, sacrifice this child you've been waiting for, the first thing that comes to your mind is, man, that sounds unimaginably cruel for God to do. It sounds like God in the middle of the test is being so incredibly cruel. But what I want us to see is that what we see at first glance as God's cruelty is actually at second consideration God's kindness. God's not being cruel to Abraham. He's actually being kind. And here's the reason why. And listen, it's, it's the only way that you can know your faith is actually real for God to put it to the test. 
Until God allows you to go through the trial, guys, you will never know whether or not your faith is a theoretical exercise or if it's really found on the bedrock truths of believing God is who he is and he'll do what he said he'll do. It's not until there's a moment in your life when your faith is tested and tried and you absolutely have to have a very real God and you genuinely believe that you do. It's only in that moment that you really know your faith is real. And so God is not being cruel in the test. He's actually showing kindness. Reminds me of this story that I heard about a bridge called the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Uh, the, The Tacoma Narrows Bridge was actually built in 1940. And many of you knowing that period in time in our nation's history know that uh, we were just coming out of the Great Depression as a country. Well, the plan to build a bridge in the state of Washington there in Tacoma had been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, there was already a design that was in place. It was a proven design for bridge building and they had a price tag of $11 million in order to build it. But because we were coming out of the Great Depression, they could not raise the $11 million they needed to build that bridge. And that's when an engineer came to the conversation who had a brand new theory of bridge building. He he had come up with this theoretical way to build bridges that would be just as strong and half the price. And because the state of Washington couldn't raise enough money, they decided to go with this theoretical bridge design. And through the process, the construction workers who were putting the bridge together realized something's just not quite right. Winds that shouldn't have affected a bridge that size were causing it to sway back and forth. As a matter of fact, the construction workers gave the bridge a nickname, and the nickname was Galloping Gertie. What a great name, by the way. Galloping Gertie, this bridge in Washington. It opened July 1st, 1940. And just a few short months after, a storm came through. And the storm had winds of 40 miles an hour, fast enough, but certainly not so fast that it should have caused an issue for the bridge. And many of you have probably seen video footage of this bridge. It's one of the most famous video footage of any bridge um, uh, disaster in the history of the world. There's the, the picture of that bridge swaying back and forth and up and down, cars that are trapped and being tossed back and forth by that bridge until finally there on November 7th, 1940, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge collapsed in a catastrophic failure. It was such a cat- catastrophic failure that the government mandated that any new designs concerning bid- bridge construction needed to be sufficiently tested before they were actually used. Pretty good idea, right? I wish our government could get this time change thing right, but at least they got that one right. And here's the deal. Because it had never been put to the test, because it had never been proven in real life, The design of that bridge was always theoretical and it had catastrophic results. And you guys need to know this. Our faith is a lot like that bridge. 
until the winds of trial blow, until the tests and stress of life build on us, we can't know whether or not our faith is actually real or we're just enjoying the ride. And when God allows the tests of life to come, when he allows the trials to blow across our life, he's not being cruel, he's being kind. He's giving us a front row seat an opportunity to see whether or not our faith is real or deficient. And that's why we see the whole Bible teaching these truths about suffering. James chapter one, verse two says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing this, that the trial of your faith produces steadfastness. It enables you to continue on. It doesn't destroy you. It, it displays the reality of your faith. First Peter chapter one, verse six says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, will be found to result in praise to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ in a really important way, brothers and sisters. The trials that test our faith are the kindnesses of God revealing the reality or the deficiency of our faith. And think why that's so valuable. Every blessing of God for us in Jesus is realized in our life by his grace through faith. It's by grace through faith that you find forgiveness of sin. By grace through faith that you have eternal life. It's grace through faith that gives you power to live in the life that Christ provides. It's by grace through faith that you enter into effective prayer. By grace through faith that you have the ability to overcome fear and anxiety and greed and gossip and lust and lying. All of the blessings of God for us in Jesus are realized by grace through faith. And it isn't until your faith is put to the test that you actually even know it's real. So it's the kindness of God, not his cruelty, that allows our faith to be tested. Guys, I don't know what kind of test you're in, but I know this. I know most of you are in a trial of your faith today. There's something in your marriage, something in your home, at your work, something in this world, something in your own heart that is the test of your faith. And you're tempted to wonder, where's God in all this? What is going on? And you need to know, God will allow your faith to be tested. He will allow your dreams to die, just like he did with Abraham. He'll allow it to seem like his promises can't possibly come true, just like it did with Abraham. He'll allow it to seem like he's taking away his blessings, even though you've been faithful, just like he did with Abraham. He will allow it to seem like your faith is about to break and his promises can't be true, just like he did with Abraham. But you need to know this. When God allows your faith to be put to the test, He's not being cruel, he's being kind, and I want you to notice how faith responds. If you wanna know, is my faith real? Is my faith real? Look how faith responds in verse 19. He considered, this is Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Do you hear that? How does faith respond? Faith responds by saying this, he's able. He's able. 
He's able. Guys, the heartbeat of faith that sustains us through the trials of life is the steady rhythm that says he is able, he is able, he is able. Guys, it's what goes on in the heart that encounters the trial of financial hardship and says, I don't know how, but I know he is able to meet my needs. It's the heart that encounters the trial of loneliness and says, I don't know how, but he is able to fulfill my deepest desires and give me love and acceptance. It's the heart that encounters the trial of fear and worry and says, I don't know how, but he is able to keep me safe and bring me home to glory. It's the heart that encounters the trial of devastating loss, even the loss of a loved one. It says he is able. I don't know how, but he is able to be enough for me. The heartbeat of faith in the midst of our trials is a steady rhythm that says he is able, he is able, he is able I got an email a couple of weeks ago from one of my heroes in the faith, one of our senior adult widows. They may know that she is experiencing incredible financial hardship. And she doesn't know how it's going to all take shape. And she doesn't know how God's going to see her through. But in the email note that she sent to me, she said, I know that he is able. He will see me through. And guys, I don't know what your trial is today. I don't know. I don't know what's testing your faith. I don't know. But I do know what question you need to ask. Do you believe he's able? What dream of yours has died? Which shattered dream in your life has laid at your feet for far too long? Let me ask you this. Do you believe he's able to resurrect it? What promise of God seems like it can't possibly come true for you? Do you believe he's able to fulfill it? What unthinkable problem are you facing in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in this world, in your own soul? Do you believe that he is able to see you through? Friend, the the word for us this morning is not just that God will let us go through a, a test of our faith and that it's good for us. The word we need to hear this morning is this. When he lets us go through the test of our faith, he is able. He is able. Guys, he is always able. He will allow your faith to be tested and that's a good thing. But the second thing really that we see here is this. God will prove himself faithful and that's a better thing. God will allow your faith to be tested and that's a good thing, but God will prove himself faithful and that's a great thing. Look at verse 19. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. He said he's able. And look at this. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In this story, here's what happens. Abraham proves his faith is real and God proves that he is faithful. God kept his promise. He fulfilled his plan. He proved himself faithful. You know why? Because that's who he is and that's what he always does. He's faithful. I've told you guys plenty of stories about my childhood. The big glasses, the wild hair, the weirdness that never stopped. You don't need to hear any more of those stories, but you guys know that I was raised in such a godly home. My mom and dad are actually with us this morning and this is their last weekend in town for they head back. Uh, to the frigid tundra of Ohio. Part of our story includes an awful lot of lean times. 
Dad worked really, really hard. He worked as hard as any man I think I've ever known. Um, He labored very faithfully as a pastor. Through my childhood, largely he labored in places that nobody knew were there. He did things that nobody saw him do. And he worked hard. But he didn't make a lot of money. (laughs) As a matter of fact, there were a lot of moments when, when our money was in very short supply. And there were times when our needs were knocking at the door. I remember really clearly moments where we needed food and didn't have food. There were times when we needed clothes. Let's face it, we always need clothes. And we didn't have them. Times when winter was coming in north central Ohio and we knew snow was on its way and we couldn't afford necessarily the clothes. And mom and dad led us to believe something as kids. They led us to believe he is able. They lived like he was able. They prayed like he was able. They gave like he was able. They served like he was able. They lived like God is able. And you know what God did? Every single time, do you know what God did? He proved himself faithful. Moments when someone would drop groceries off on our front porch and we hadn't told anyone we needed groceries we couldn't afford. We'd get a knock at the door and someone would leave clothes for us boys. Even though we never told them we needed clothes over and over again, guys, we got a front row seat to see God's faithfulness. And I want to tell you this as it concerns the trial of your faith. There is something so much better than knowing your faith is real. And it's knowing our God is faithful. Guys, our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in our faithful God. And every time you see God prove his faithfulness over and over again, it only strengthens your faith to take the next step. The trials of life and the trials of your faith aren't just the proving ground for your faith. Those very trials are the proving ground for God's faithfulness. And without those seasons of trial, you won't get to see firsthand how real and glorious and good and faithful our God is. The trials of life don't just come to prove your faith. They come to show God faithful and that's how it always is he's always faithful and if you guys are ever and some of you may not be asking this but some of you may that you want proof that shows just how faithful God is even in the deepest tests and the darkest times I've got some proof for you You want proof okay I'll give you some proof all right a couple thousand years after Abraham led his son up that mountain. Another father led his son up a very similar mountain. God the Father led Jesus the Son up a mountain called Calvary. In that moment, do you realize it looked like the greatest victory Satan has ever recorded? 
It looked like every good dream God's people ever had was coming undone. When the king of glory was dying on a cross, it looked like all God's promises were turned upside down. The chosen Messiah to deliver his people was bound and chained and beaten and killed. But in the greatest moment, of tribulation in the history of this world, God proved faithful. Jesus' death defeated Satan, satisfied God's anger over sin and made it possible for his people to be forgiven. And when Jesus died, do you know what happened next? I hope so. He didn't stay dead. He rose again to brand new life three days later, proving for all time something we all need to hear. And it's this, God is able And he is always faithful. So here's what it means. Praise God. The death of Jesus reminds us that he's able to forgive sin and is faithful to do it when we call. It reminds us that he's able to restore us to himself and he's faithful to do it when we call. That he's able to rescue his people in every way they need rescued and he's faithful to do it when we call that he's able to raise us up to a new kind of life and he's faithful to do it when we call, that he's able to take our broken dreams and give us something better than we could ever have imagined and he's able to do it and faithful to do it when we call. Friends, the work of Jesus dying for our sin and rising again from the dead is conclusive proof now and forever that our God is able and he is faithful to do whatever he's promised to do and that's what we're declaring around the Lord's table. When we take this bread and this cup, it is a declaration of our faith. It's our way of saying, I believe he's able and faithful to forgive. And I'm trusting in him because he's able and I'm not. He's faithful and I'm not. That's why I need Jesus and that's why I celebrate that I have him. So as we prepare our hearts to enter that time of communion, that declaration about Jesus. I just have a couple of questions I wanna ask you. First, are you, are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone to make you right and keep you right with God? This table is for believers because it's an expression of belief. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I can't think of a better moment than now. Would you call on Jesus to save you? You may realize your brokenness and sin and you may believe that Jesus Christ lived the life you couldn't live, a perfect life. He died the death you should have died as a payment for your sin. He was buried and he rose again three days later. You may believe that and have never called on him to save you. Would you call on Jesus to save you today? This is a table of belief in God's faithfulness and ability to save. And I know most of you in this room would say, I'm a believer. I'm trusting in Jesus. Well, let me ask you this. Where is it in your life that your faith is being put to the test today? All of you've got it. All of you've got the place where it's a trial to believe. You wake up in the morning and you you don't need to think of things that test your faith. They come to you automatically. Would you pray that God would remind you through this table that he is able and he is faithful. 
Would you ask him to grow your faith in the middle of the trial that he would give you eyes to see how he has been and will always be faithful to you? And would you celebrate his faithfulness in Jesus? Would you bow your heads? Let's enter into a moment of prayer. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, would you call on him to save you right now? Confess your sins and your need for forgiveness. Acknowledge Christ's work of dying on the cross in your place. And ask him to save you. Praise him for saving you. For those of you who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm trusting. Where is it in your life that your faith is being tested? Which promise feels hardest to believe? Would you reflect over the work of Jesus and allow your heart to hear the word of Christ when he says, I'm able and I'm faithful? Don't stop believing. Would you ask God to grow your faith that you would not collapse under the stress and strain, the winds and trials of life. Lord, we come around this visual reminder of Christ's death on the cross. And we ask you to stir our hearts, Lord, that in the middle of our trials, in the middle of our storms, in the middle of the test, that we would believe you're able and you are faithful. And that not only would we see our faith being proven, but in our life and in this day, we would see your faithfulness proven to us. Lord, we love you, and we bless you, and we thank you. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.